I think I'm in love with you. I'm serious. If you could just see what I get to see from this vantage point. Some of you are seriously messed up, aren't you? I love, I love that about this place. I love that about you. I mean, well, I want to help you with that, of course, but I'm glad it's not a requirement, you know, that you got to get that all sorted out before you can jump in here, right? We might have some sorting out to do along the way, but just jump in. Speaking of messed up, uh, next uh, Sunday we're going to ordain Tony Buxel. For those of you who are new, that guy who was up here is Tony Buxel. He's a pastor on our staff here. He joined our staff a year and a half ago, and he has brought his heart. He has brought his life. He has brought himself to us, and uh, we are happy to offer him life ordination in the vineyard. That's a very special thing for us here, the vineyard. We don't just throw that around. I told you last week, I think, that only two, two other people... We have uh, ordained, one is Denny Tatman, who was on our staff and then went and planted the church out in Madison County Vineyard out in London. Fantastic, fantastic guy. Fantastic church. And then the other is Paul Bradshaw, yeah, who was on our staff also and ordained him. And he went and planted in Franklinton, in downtown Columbus, the Bottoms area there. Fantastic ministry. We want to ordain Tony next Sunday night at 6 o'clock. It's a very special service, very cool time. And somebody might be wondering, well, no, wait a second. The other two guys you ordained went and planted churches. Uh, are, are we putting Tony on like the launch pad for a plant? The answer is absolutely not. Um, I actually have installed an ankle bracelet on Tony. So we... We monitor his whereabouts. If he if he gets more than five miles from the church, something jolts, and so he's getting it. He's getting it. But <laughs> Tony and Donna would lead a fine church plant, but that's not what they're called to do. They're called to come here and they're called to minister among us. And uh, I've also tapped into all of his phone conversations. <laughs> There's a little chip I've installed that actually reads his prayers. So um, so the only way he's going is if I kill him on his way out. Okay? Just want to clarify that. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, a familiar passage for many of us. Acts chapter 2, the church had just been born. Jesus had risen from the dead, ascended to the Father. You know, he had already died for our sins, all this Essential stuff had happened, and the Holy Spirit had just been poured out on the church, and so it was a living thing. And uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, 
praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Does that sound like something you'd like to be a part of? <laughs> Lord, this is what we want. It's all we've ever wanted here, Lord. We don't have a goal of our size or our buildings or our budgets. We have no, none of these goals, Lord. We just, we just want to be functional under the command of your Holy Spirit. We want to love each other. We want to love you. Lord, you know my heart. I want every person to have full opportunity to live the best life that they possibly can. And so as we move through the remainder of this series of messages, Lord, I I thank you for what you've already done, what you've already spoken, the way the Holy Spirit has moved in so many lives. I just pray, Father, that you will You'll produce your exact result today. It's your church, Lord. It's your word. It's your message. And we're your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've been working through this series, uh, Living Your Best Life, because we all want to live the best version of the one life we have. And so far, we've said in order to do that, we need to, uh, we need to first of all, be defined by prayer. We want to be people whose lives are being defined by conversational prayer with God. Not just he's there as a resource, but we're talking with God. We're hearing from God and our steps are being ordered by him. That's the beginning of a great life. Second, that we're powered by praise, that as we consistently release more and more praise to God, and much the way you guys just did a little while ago, there's more power that's released back, right? And you you just saw a perfect example of that. Just you see the people who are touched. If you went back and and you were prayed for and you really felt like something happened, raise your hand. So look around there. See, you got hands up all over the place. That's the power of praise. You release praise to God and he meets us. In, in power. Uh, the third message was that we need to be committed to key relationships in our lives, covenant relationships, confessional relationships, these kind of relationships in our lives that cause us to be the best possible version of ourselves as a believer so then we can have relationships with the whole world, right? So we, we need to be intentional about that. And then last week I brought a message that if we want to live the best version of our lives, we have to learn how to walk in dominion. By that I mean, you know, you, you recall that the Lord created us to re, in His image to reflect Him in so many ways. And one of those ways just w- was to walk in dominion. And Jesus died on the cross. He rose, rose from the dead. He ascended to the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit so that as we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we can regain this place of dominion over the things that come against us and over, even over the structures of evil in our lives, that we have authority over that as those who are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. So we have that dominion. That will go a long way in defining a really good life, right? If, you, uh, you know, if you've been tracking with this series and maybe had to miss last week for whatever reason, I don't hardly ever say this, but I really encourage you to get online and listen to that message because I think that's really a key message in this whole aspect of... Uh, of, of uh, living your best life, okay? Today I want to give you the fifth step or the fifth quality, I guess it is, of our lives that I think will produce the best possible version of your life. And that is that we want to be, catch this, funded by generosity. Funded by generosity. And we want to develop a lifestyle of generosity to which God will respond where we actually provide the resources for us to live. I mean, it's true that we, we all need money, right? Hello? We need money. I mean, it takes money. To, you need some kind of provision in our lives, whether it's, you know, the wheat crop you gather in the fall or the paycheck that comes every other Friday. We all need money. It's been said that in order to live a happy life, you need enough money so that you don't have to worry about your bills, 
but not too much so that you don't have to worry about your money. Does that make sense? We want to live in that sweet spot, don't we? Right, of course. Well, I'd like to tell you this morning the Bible's secret about how to have all the money you'll ever need. Buckle up. The Bible clearly teaches that in order to have all the money you'll ever need, you must develop the practice of giving away as much of it as you possibly can. (laughs) What? Is that a trick? (laughs) It's the Bible's teaching. You want to have all the money you'll ever need? Then give away as much of it as you possibly can and still survive. This is something called generosity. If you do that, God will fund your life. He'll resource your life with everything you ever need. That's the promise of the Bible. Some of you are already crossing your arms because I said the word money. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, right? It's called a paradox. It's the paradox of generosity. A paradox is something that's kind of counterintuitive. It doesn't really make sense just to listen to it. It sounds opposite, but it's somehow it's true. It's like the Atkins diet. How many of you were on that? Me too. I loved a diet where the center food was bacon. Was, was that not living or what? And it worked for a while, didn't it? How many of you like me lost weight on the Atkins diet? It was cool. I mean, I'll just can I have a bacon casserole, please? And could you cover that with steak? Until <laughs> your body caught on to the trick it was being played on, right? Or until you strangled your boss because your mind was all messed up. It's counterintuitive to think that you could eat like that and lose weight. It's kind of a paradox. The Bible is full of paradoxes. Jesus said, for example, that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. That doesn't make any sense, does it? It's counterintuitive. It's a paradox. Jesus said, if any of you would be great among you, then you must become the servant of all. That doesn't make any sense. Well, it makes sense. If I'm going to be great, I better climb this ladder. I better make myself known, right? Jesus said, if you want to be great, you have to dive for the bottom of the pile. That the greatest person, the greatest person is the one who's washing the most number of feet. That's a paradox. Well, here's another paradox. That the more authentically generous we become with the things that we have, the more lavishly our lives will be funded by God. Did you hear that? The more authentically generous we become with the things that we have, the more lavishly our lives will be funded by God. Try to try to outgive God. Try it. Don't take my word for it. Let's see what the Bible has to say about it. Malachi. Oh, you're so surprised. Some of you. It's chapter 3, verse 10. The last book of the Old Testament is a prophet. And his name was Malachi. Some say he was the Italian prophet, Malachi. But it's really <laughs> Malachi. And uh, Malachi had a very received a very stern message for Israel from the Lord. Most of this is a very stern message. But then uh, at the end, it's very poignant and very, very wonderful. But in the midst of this sternness, um, God says this in verse 10, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll not have room enough for it. There's the paradox. He says, bring your whole tithe. I'll get to what that is in a second. Bring it all, bring it all, bring it in, and just test me in this, he says, and see if there's not so much, see if I don't provide such a blessing that you're going to have to figure out how to, how to keep it or how to give it away, all right? It's pretty cool. That's the promise of God. 
Now, there are plenty of badly interpreted versions of that verse, right? With all kinds of foolish promises about you send me $1,000 to my TV ministry and you're going to get a new wife or whatever, you know. There's a lot of bad examples of what that means, where that whole thing is just entirely overemphasized, where the motivation for tithing or being generous becomes to receive. Well, that's ridiculous. That's not a paradox. That's stupidity. I want to give because of what Jesus has given for me. I want to live generously because of the generous, lavish love that God has poured out on me through his son, Jesus. That's what I want to do. And so from that, though, God blesses me, and I can't keep up with his blessing. Okay? Now, the first century church, as we saw in this passage I read for you earlier, they enjoyed a great life. This is exactly the church that I want to be a part of right there. You know, if you look at, if you look at verse 43 of that text, Acts 2.43, it said, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. I want to be there. I want to be there. Wherever God is moving, I want to be there. I want to fall in love with the people that I'm in journey with. We're in journey together, and I love you. And that's cool. I want to be in love with you. And I want to see God move. So that's really all we've ever wanted here at the Vineyard. You know, we've just tried to respond to what's happening. We don't have a five-year plan. Our five-year plan is the same as today's plan. Let's show up and see what God does and go from there, okay? That's what it is. It truly is. Now, what I'm saying to you is I want to be a part of this church. But if you look at the features of this church, you'll notice first they, were, they devoted themselves to the right things. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is the Bible now, to the fellowship, which is all y'all, to the breaking of bread, which you know could have been fellowship but could have also been communion, which we will get to, by the way. I didn't forget. And to prayer. And so they were devoted to these things. As a result, they had this, this, cool, this cool fellowship, this cool community. Notice also in verse 46, it says they lived in loving relationships with one another. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. I don't know if I could stand you every day, but, you know, it was new. <laughs> but they were really just together. It wasn't just about an hour on Sunday or an hour and 15 minutes, hopefully. They... Uh, it says they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. But there's the characterization that these guys really loved each other. And they didn't go to life groups because they were assigned life groups. They went to life groups because they wanted to have life together, right? And it also says, third, that they were very consistent in their praise. Verse 47, praising God. And so they released praise. These were the qualities of this community. Sounds so far a lot like this series, doesn't it? But also, you know, you really don't overlook the fact that they, were also, uh, they also lived in a lavish generosity with each other. And all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. That's pretty radical, isn't it? That's pretty radical. Well, if you want the best possible version of the one life you have, then you're going to have to add to these first four dimensions that I've been sharing with you, um, you're going to have to add the development of a life of authentic generosity. It's really not optional. It's not like, oh, well, I'll take five out of the six things you say in this series, Tom. It's like, if you don't have this, there's a really a key element missing because it's a ref- generosity is a reflection of what's in our hearts, isn't it? And if we're, if we're afraid to be generous, it shows that fear's in our heart. You know, if we're just trying to pile up stuff for ourselves and, and resisting generosity, it shows that we have not yet really invited Jesus to be the, the Lord of our lives in so many ways. But at the core of this thing called generosity that you want to develop is a thing called tithing. So ask me a question. 
Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. Well, three things. First of all, tithing is faithfully bringing 10% of our income to the work of the Lord. Okay? Malachi 3.10 that I read for you just a minute ago said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this, he said. He says, I dare you. Test me in this. See what happens when you do. The whole tithe. The word tithe comes from a Hebrew word which means tenth. or ten, So it means 10%. Tenth. I love it that God set up the tithe and not the eighth because the, because the math is so much easier, right? I mean, what if it was like the 32nd or something? You know, I mean, and you say, well, I'd have more money. Not really. If you obey God, you're going to have everything you need. But a tithe is so easy because you just take and you move the decimal point over one place and you're done, right? This is something that was practiced throughout the Old Testament. 27 times the word appears in the Old Testament and then four times in the New Testament, but that's only because... As I'll show you in just a second, tithing was considered to be the foundation. And, and there are many, many more times in the New Testament generosity is talked about, but the tithe was something that was assumed. Okay? Um, so when he says bring the whole tithe, he's talking about the tenth. Some people say they tithe because they give something at all. That's not tithing. That's giving. It's wonderful. But if you want to be faithful to the tithe, then you bring a tenth. Right? That's I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Don't get mad at me. Okay? Second, tithing is something that was clearly confirmed by Jesus as a New Testament practice. So, you know, sometimes people say, oh, tithing, schmithing, that's Old Testament. Well, you've got two choices. You can tithe or you can do what they did in the New Testament, which was selling all their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. <laughs> Suddenly you say, I like the tithe, huh? I'm feeling, I'm feeling very Old Testament-ish. But Jesus actually, oh, Jesus actually, he actually, affirmed the tithe when he was in this discussion with the Pharisees who were trying to one-up on him. Boy, it took him a long time to learn they were never going to do that. But Jesus said, you know, you guys, you guys tithe down to the last mint leaf. You know, you're like you're so legalistic in your tithing, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, such as justice and mercy. And then he said, these you should have done, the justice and mercy, with, uh, you should have done those without neglecting tithing. So that he affirmed, definitely affirmed the practice of tithing. Now, one of the things that I love about tithing is that tithing actually provides an interesting objective uh, measure of our faith walk. Did you get this? Tithing provides an interesting objective measure of our faith walk. I love this. Tithing is 10%. So you know when you've tithed, right? How do you know when you've prayed enough? How do you know when you've praised enough? How do you know when you've served enough? How do you know when you've shared your faith enough? Those are subjective evaluations, aren't they? Tithing at last. Something I can look at and go, yeah, I've been faithful with the tithe, Lord. So there's no opportunity for misunderstanding about when one has tithed. Because it's an objective, it's an objective, very objective standard. Okay? Often in dealing with people, and even thinking about my own life, often I see that any reluctance to tithing or resistance to tithing in this way, except under some real extraordinary circumstances, it is an indication of some of the other things that are going on in a person's life. That's why I think it can be understood as part of a measure of our faith walk. Because if a person is not tithing, for, for example, because you know, they're, they're, they're not surrendering, well, then they're probably not surrendering in prayer and praise and service, right? So it can be an indication. That's what I mean by that. It can be an indication. Um, but tithing is part of something much larger it's part of a, a foundation for really for generous generous uh, living. In Second Corinthians chapter eight, go ahead and turn there. 
is I'm trying to invite you to incorporate this, not because we need your money, because we don't. I don't want your money, by the way. We'll get to that in a little more detail in a minute. But because uh, you need to give it. You need to relinquish this. It's part, because Paul says that it's part of the rest of our walk with the Lord. And it's a grace. He said there's a, something called the grace of giving. That You know how God pours his grace out on you, Harry? And you know that stuff comes back off of you as a result of the grace. And you, you almost can't help yourself, right? And the more grace you get from God, the less intentional you have to be really about bringing it back because it's just like, bam. You're like a polished mirror at that point, right? So the more grace you receive, the more polished your surface is. So you just reflect God's glory. And it's about this, like this in so many ways. So grace goes in. Grace goes in, Ken. Grace comes back, Okay. And here's what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 8. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. They were poor, but they responded in generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. As we give ourselves first to the Lord in prayer, in praise, in relationships, we will see that the desire for generosity will emerge. So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. That tithing is not a legalistic response, it's an act of grace. But just as you excel in everything, look, and then he gives a list. In speech, in faith, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So it's part of God's plan for us is that we would just live these lavishly generous lives. Okay? Um, and, and this is part of this is part of the life you're longing for. You know, with the with the prayer and the praise and the relationships and walking in dominion. Part of the life you're longing for is to be released from this world's goods to the, to the point that you can just freely, automatically, powerfully just be a generous person. Does that make sense so far? Yes? Okay. All right. Uh, I've noticed that not everybody tithes. Nervous laughter. Some have even argued against it with me, saying it's an archaic and even legalistic practice. But I find it interesting that the only time that conversation has come up with me, I've been talking to someone in America. I've seen some very, very poor people in two other parts of the world. And this subject has never come up. In fact, their lavish generosity is humbling. The only time this conversation really comes up is America. We're 6% of the world's population. We have 25% of the stuff. And so I, I pondered, why, why don't people tithe? Lord, I mean, we don't need their money, but why don't they tithe as an act of their, of their, their walk with you? I came up with um, three, four reasons. Ready? One is ignorance. People just say, I didn't know. There are a lot of you here today who are on a pretty steep learning curve, aren't you? <laughs> I mean, you, like me, came into the church without any fetching up, any church stuff. 
and you're like, what, 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 what? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, what's next? What, what, what? And you hear this tithing thing, and you go like, I had no idea. I, really? Seriously? That seems like a lot. Wow. Hmm. And you're on a learning curve. It's okay to be on a learning curve or a relearning curve in some case. In 1987, my wife Karen and I, we were privileged to plant a church in Westerville before coming here and starting this church in 92, 93. And uh, we had a lot of interesting people in the, met in the high school, Westerville South High School, for five years. A lot of interesting people responded to our evangelistic efforts in that community. And uh, one of them was a family, I won't say their names, uh, but one of them was a family who, uh, he's, he was a professor at the medical school, a uh, small school called Ohio State. And, uh, and they, we reached them, and they were like totally in. They were like, wow, this is so cool. And they really had never really experienced the gospel in any significant way before. And so they, they loved everything we were doing. They helped us tear down chairs and stuff, all that stuff you do when you're in a young little itty-bitty church of like 75, 80, 100 people, you know. And uh, they came, and I remember after a message that I brought on tithing, I remember they came to me and they said, seriously, it's 10%? So yeah. They go, we didn't know. And I said, well, how can you be smart enough to be a professor at a medical school and not know that? I thought that. I didn't say that. (laughs) And actually, I thought, thank God. Thank God you're bringing me people who don't know. And then they said, oh, well, if that's, that's what the Bible says, we'll just do it. People just don't know. I think a second reason, uh, maybe, is that uh, it's suspicion. The church just wants my money. That's understandable. I, you know, some of you maybe have been victims of that. You've been in situations where all we talk about is money, blah, 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 take up a couple offerings. You guys, if you were any good at anything, you'd give and blah, blah, blah. Don't raise your hand, but some of you have been victims of that, right? And so it's understandable that you'd be suspicious. Some of you are here for the first time today. This is your first time. I'm going to go to the vineyard. I hear it's a really cool church. And the reason you didn't come was because you said, you know, I don't want to go to church because all they ever talk about is money. (laughs) Surprise! Today you're 100% right. I teach on the subject of, of giving like this one time a year. One time a year. In fact, some of you thought you were going to miss it because of the series, right? (laughs) Huh? One time a year. So if today is the only day you come, you'll be 100% right. That's all the church ever talks about is money. But if you come for the next 51 Sundays, you will be 1.93% right. (laughs) You really think about numbers a lot, don't you, Tom? It's, It's an important part of our walk. So I feel compelled to teach on this subject one time a year. Today's the day. Lucky day. Welcome to the vineyard. <laughs> Here's how it works. We don't need your money. But you need to give it. Here's the very simple formula by which we operate. If all you all give the same as what you've been given, we'll do the same here and around the world. Step two, if all y'all give more than what you've been given, we'll do more here and around the world. Step three, if all y'all give less than what you've been given, we'll do less here and around the world. That's a pretty simple formula, right? That's pretty simple. 
When we envisioned this church, I said, Lord, I don't want to be a church that talks about money all the time. And the Lord spoke this to me. He said, I always pay for what I order. So I've been operating for 20 years trying to guide this church, saying, if he's paid it, then he's ordered it. But don't be telling me God's calling us to do something that he hasn't paid for, that he hasn't provided some understanding that the resources will be there for it. Okay? So that's how we operate. So we don't need your money. I mean, if you stop giving, we'll just start, start firing staff. I figure I'm at the top of the food chain, so I'm probably safe for a while. Let him who would be great among you be the servant. Sorry, Lord. You need to give it. It's part of your act of discipleship. It's that simple. Doubt. I think some people say, I find it hard to believe that if I give more, give more of my money away, I'm going to end up with everything I need. I know. It's crazy. It's counterintuitive. It's paradox. Don't take my word for it, though you could. I have stories, but take God's word for it. Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll give you everything you need. Everything you need. I wonder if there's anybody in here who can say, You know, I tested God in this. I tested God in this. I took him up, and it's true. He fulfills this promise. Raise your hand if that's true. Look around. There you go. Take my word for it. Okay. And then the fourth reason I think people maybe resist tithing in America today is fear. They say, I'm barely making it now. How could I possibly give 10%? I'm already going backwards. I can't meet my, my objectives already. Well, if you're barely making it now, then one of three things is true. Ready? Number one, you're making too little. On three, say da. One, two, three. Da. Right. Number two, if you're barely making it, you're spending too much. Hmm, that's really deep. If that is true of you, I urge you to sign up for Financial Peace University where we teach the principles of biblical finances here. Revolutionize your life. Number three, if you're barely making it, my guess is that you have not found your way to living a generous life, life yet. Because God promises to meet you. Okay. But I've also noticed that some people here really do love to tithe. And I'm grateful. And I wondered, well, so why do people tithe then? Why do people? some people love to tithe? One is obedience. They say, I want to do everything in the Bible that I possibly can. I just want to be obedient to what... Uh, as, as much as I have strength for it, I want to be obedient. Isn't that true? Isn't obedience a part of our walk with God? I mean, it's true. We don't have to obey everything and be perfect in order to be saved. That's where Jesus makes up the difference. But isn't it, in, isn't it in our hearts to be obedient to everything the Bible says? Yes. And the Bible, you cannot read the Bible without seeing this. And the Bible promises blessing for obedience. It was stated this way. It was stated this way to Israel in Deuteronomy. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land, the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. 
Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people as he promised you on oath if you keep the commands the Lord your God has and walk in his ways. Then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your ground in the land he swore to your forefathers to give you. The Lord will be will open the heavens, the storehouses of his bounty to send rain on your land and season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from the commands I give you today to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. That's the Bible. That's the Bible. That's Deuteronomy chapter 28, 1 through 14, if you're writing stuff down. Jesus summarized it this way in Luke 11, 28. He said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. I think some people understand the power of obedience. Also compassion. I think some people love to give because they have a compassionate heart. They say, I want to bless people here and around the world. You understand that when you tithe here, somebody gets blessed. Somebody gets blessed when you tithe, either here or somewhere around the world. Somebody gets blessed in a thousand ways, both here and around the world. When you tithe, somebody gets blessed. I wonder if you could raise your hand if at some point you were really blessed either by the existence of this church or a church like it. There you go. And that's here because... You tithe. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the Bible says. And I wonder if you raise your hand if somehow it feels good to be a part of a church that provides fresh water and so many, many other things for some of the poorest people on planet Earth. Does that feel good? That's what happens. And so some of you are motivated to tithe out of compassion, and then I think some of you maybe are motivated to tithe um, just out of faith because you want to test God in this. Some of you really want and need God to bless your finances, right? Many people make more of this than I do, but it's in the Word of God I have to represent it. There are many examples of people in this room who went out on a limb and tested God in this. Some people who say, I can't afford to tithe. Brother, if you can't afford to tithe, you can't afford not to tithe. Some people say you talk a lot about tithing, a lot about money. Aren't there other ways to live generously? The answer is absolutely. Jesus said that tithing is meant to be the very foundation of our generous lifestyle. He said these you should have done and, and much more. Tithing is the, is the thing, the platform upon which we stand to be generous with our stuff, but also with our mercy, with our grace, it's the platform, right? Some of you are wondering, how do I begin? How do I get started tithing? Three things. Number one, pray. Pray. Just pray. Don't do a thing till you pray. Don't take my word for it. Take his word for it. Go to God in prayer and say, is that guy right? Is that guy right? Is it true he doesn't really want my money? 
Is it true this isn't a trick? Ask God. Ask God. I trust you to hear from God. I, I trust you to hear from God. Is it really that important, Lord? Just ask God. Just pray. Second, talk. Talk to somebody. If you're married, talk to each other, even if your spouse is not a believer. Talk, talk with each other about what's going on and why this is a value for you. Talk about it. If you're flying solo, you're not married, listen, talk to somebody who's tithing. Find somebody in your life group. Find somebody who tithes and say, tell me about that. How'd you get going? What you... And then number three, begin. Just start. May I begin gradually? You can do whatever you want. May you begin with 2%? Absolutely. I've seen people say, I'm going to commit 2%, and as God blesses me, if that's true, I'm going to just increase until I get to 10%, and then there I'll be. I've seen people do that over and over and over and over again. Just begin. What happens is as you do it, you get used to it. You get used to it. Two times a month, I get paid every other Friday. Two times a month, Karen and I sit down at the dining room table. I take her hand. We pray, thank you, God, for this, all this provision. Thank you for these people who come and tithe and make my life possible. Thank you, Lord, for all this. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, guide us and direct us. And then I write the first check, Vineyard Christian Fellowship. It's not a question. It's not a part of the debate. It's just automatic. You just get used to it. And if you, if you get used to it gradually then you'll be used to it. How many of you, like me, washed your car in the driveway yesterday? It was 35. It was 30. Well, that's why you got cold, Justin. It's 35 degrees, right? It was 35. Didn't it feel like heat wave? Huh? Come on. I power washed my garage floor yesterday. I know. Because compared to 35 below, whatever it was, four days earlier, it felt like a heat wave, right? Now, if in August it was on my to-do list to power wash the garage floor and it was 35 degrees out, I'd say, forget it. It's freezing out there. Right? It's all according to what you get used to. Just start. Just begin. Tithing, benevolence, generosity. This is part of taking up our place in the created order again because we are reflecting the benevolence of God. I just have six words I want to say in conclusion. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I do want to thank you guys, those of you guys who tithe. I do want to thank you. I want to thank you. If you could see the faces of some of these people whose lives have been touched here and around the world. Because you make it possible. I just want to thank you for your faithfulness. So, Father in heaven, we need you to birth generosity in our hearts. It's not easy to have so much and to be free with it. It's a strange part of the paradox. Something has been birthed in us, some addiction for more, Lord. Some insatiable monster lives inside of us that says, I've got to have that. God, break that. Break that in us, that we would be a peculiar people in culture. That we would freely reflect your love and benevolence and generosity for the world. Thank you, God, for giving me this place that this teaching comes up once a year. Thank you. Thank you, God, that you move on the hearts of these people. Thank you. Thank you.
Now, as we come into a few moments of communion with you at the tables this morning, Lord, we ask your blessing on it. We ask you, O God, to meet us in this great gift you have given us, the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Amen. So you maybe notice that the communion tables are set up here, which they're inclined to do on the first Sunday of every month. Two in the front and two in the back. I'm just going to take a few minutes and come up. And as I was praying about this this morning, I, I was struck with how the Lord said at that Last Supper, He said, took the bread and He said, This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And how that, that belonged to Him. Nobody took it from Him, but He gave it. It was a gift. Johnny gave you that gift. He said, Here, here's my body for you. You didn't have to. He did it because he loves you, right? So as you come this morning, I want you to do this. I'd like for you to come, and, and you're all welcome, by the way. You don't have to be a member of this church. If you're seeking Jesus, you're welcome at our tables. You can come to one of these four tables and take, take the elements and go back to your seat. And could you just sit for just a couple of minutes and just reflect on the fact that God gave you a gift? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then and whenever you're ready, we're going to do it a little differently this morning. Whenever you're ready in the privacy of your own moment with God, you can take the bread, you can take the cup, you can maybe cluster up as families or life groups or whatever, however you want to do it. But just, I'm just saying, I'm not coming back and saying, let's do all this together. You just, as God moves you, okay? So maybe you can start coming first row in the front, last row in the back. Why don't you get it? Go ahead and start coming and try to do this orderly and have some time with Jesus, okay?